As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yours in Murder contains descriptions of violence, adult themes, foul language, and input from cats. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome to Yours and Murder. I'm your host, Rachel. With me is Rebecca, who is probably half asleep still. Not asleep. I'm slightly concussed. I ran into a wall. And she calls me stupid. So, in other words, it's still July in Illinois. We're still hot. You know the usual. It's been pretty boring around here. I actually don't think we have any shout-outs this week. Do you have any shout-outs? Um, no. I might have shouted at the wall. Okay. Other than, again, thanks to all of our Patreon donors, as usual. And we've got kind of a cool episode for you this week, because we're going into a different branch of crime. You know what kind of crime we're doing, Rebecca? Fire. Goodness gracious, great balls of fire. I have many songs. I'm sorry. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about arson today, and arson is an interesting crime to talk about because what I learned in forensics is that everything we thought we knew, it turns out, we just made up. So we're actually trying to figure out a lot more about arson now because what we just assumed was true wasn't. So yeah, arson obviously is the act of recklessly or intentionally setting fire to personal or real property for an unlawful reason. That's from the legal dictionary. I don't know what real property means. I'm going to click this link. Refers to any lands, buildings, and structures and equipment permanently attached to or fixed to the land. So I'm going to briefly define some terms that we're going to use here because people mix them up a lot. Court TV shows are bad about this. 
So pyromania is a condition where somebody has an uncontrollable want to set fires. This is often debated as to whether it's a real condition or not. You'll hear people say that they're a pyromaniac, but they don't mean it's out of control. It just means they like to poke things in the fireplace. We're related to one. We're related to several, actually. There's like a difference between pyromaniac and dude who stares into fire and pokes it with a stick. And then somewhere right in the middle of them is our little brother. And his buddy, the fireworks salesman. But pyromania is really kind of misunderstood. It's a psychological thing. But the behavior is known as fire setting. So that means, obviously, we've all set a fire at some point in our lives. But if you, fire setting is that pattern of behavior. Which can be done as part of an uncontrollable urge. It can be done because you're bored. But until it, it becomes a crime, it is not arson. True story. So if you're just the little kid in the backyard playing with matches, not arson. Yet. I got a lot of this information. Um, Caustic Soda, which is one of my podcasts. I love what their guest um, hosts when they have somebody on. Because they have a wide variety of friends that are experts in all different fields. And they have a firefighter who's on a lot to talk about firefighting and chemical spills and stuff that he would deal with. So he's saying, you know, like, you accidentally have your campfire jumps the fire pit and gets out of control. That's not arson. That's an accident. Unless you were being reckless, that's, you know, you're not going to be charged for that. But there are degrees of arson, which is funny because they run in the opposite of the degrees of burns. Like, you know, first degree burns are minimal. Second is pretty heavy. Third is really bad. And fourth is like to the bone. Those are the degrees of burns, but the degrees of arson follow the degrees of murder. So first is the worst. And then third is the lowest. Some places go to fourth and fifth, but not most of them. So I just stayed with third. Uh, first degree is an occupied dwelling or a school at any time, I believe. Where you would normally expect that somebody would be present. So, like, I, I guess maybe if you were burning, you know, a school on summer vacation, I don't know if that'd still be first degree. If you're burning somebody's house at an hour, they would be expected to be there. That's first degree. Well, I think by occupied dwelling, they mean something where people are frequently. Like, a yes. home, it's always going to be first degree arson because, of course, it's occupied. Somebody lives there. It is occupied dwelling. Unless it is like a home for sale that's sitting empty. That would be second degree arson, which is empty. It's not usually pleaded to like, oh, they weren't home. I knew they were on vacation unless it's like a plea deal. So that would probably still be it's an occupied dwelling. It would be first degree. But if you burned, you know, the barn on the property that you knew didn't ever have people in it, that's second degree. Third degree is abandoned. So if, you know, you break into the old state hospital and burn it to the ground, that's third degree arson. Don't do that. That's bad. And watch Supernatural. You're going to die. No, never, 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 never. Aggravated arson is arson that's a little extra. So if you know... I mean, arson's a little extra to begin with. Yeah, so we'll go over that. This is, again, all from Caustic Soda. I highly recommend their arson episode. It's really funny. But aggravated arson is like if you know that there's somebody in that house and you purposely set it on fire with the intent of harming them. That's aggravated arson. You know, because you were aggravated or aggravating. It's like if there's assault and aggravated assault, it, it's just kind of that step up that means there was more malice. Hey, hey, did you hear what happened when chlorine hit sodium? It was assault! Hey, Becca. What? 
Did you hear about the church that burned down? Holy smokes! That's our best joke, friends. We'll be here all week. So then there's reckless arson, which is a little of what I told you about. Basically, like, if you're camping and you make a fire outside of a fire pit and decide to be stupid with it, and you burn down a couple acres, they may charge you with reckless arson if it was clearly that you were being dumb. Smokey the Bear would be super pissed with you. Yes. So most arsonists are males, but more females are gaining territory now. I mean, come on, like, who is always allowed to play in the fire pit? Like, it's, oh, let the boys start the fire. We'll get the hot dogs ready, girls. And I'm like, no, I'm setting this fucking fire. Hey, I remember last time you and I tried to set a fire, we ended up deciding we weren't having a campfire because we couldn't get it lit. It had been raining. Of course we couldn't get it lit. We ran out of lighter fluid. In our defense, it was raining and dad wouldn't give us the gas can. You don't put gas on a fire. You put lighter fluid on it. They're very different. PSA, do not put gasoline on a fire. So, like murder, women commit arson differently than men do. Women commit arson for revenge because women are petty as fuck. I know because I am one. I love us. No, women, it's usually their property or the property of somebody they know, while men have this, like, thing where fire's connected to their dick. <laughs> that thing. <laughs> I, like, And when you keep sticking at places that you shouldn't, it's gonna feel like it's on fire. Yeah, no, really. So the typical arsonist is uneducated, lonely, probably lives alone, is unemployed, probably not super bright, probably also... Not conventionally attractive. You just made that up. No, literally, that was in the episode that a lot of arsonists are people who either they don't consider themselves conventionally attractive or they worry that others don't consider them attractive. All right, that's fine, but this isn't caustic soda, so. I'm just saying, because it's part of that idea of somebody who feels like they're alone and they don't have the skills to build relationships, so they do other stuff. Actually, if you're an arsonist, you're more likely to have a mental disorder than if you are a murderer. Because people murder for a reason. People don't always commit arson for a reason. Other than to watch shit burn. A lot of arsons are juvenile males because... Fire. Teenage boys are dumb. Teenage girls are also dumb, but teenage girls are dumb in a different way. Yeah, like blue eyeliner. Teenage girls are contouring now. Like, no, go through the phase where it's the wrong color and your eyeliner's blue. The rest of us did. It's a rite of passage. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, and the firefighter, um, I believe his name's Alan Newell, in their episode mentions, you know, it's it's kind of teenage boys. A lot of times it's the last day of summer break and there's a bundle of paper pushed up against the school. That kind of thing. Basically anything that makes a male mad. So Rebecca, even though you're looking at my list, what would you consider a motive for arson? Revenge is one. You can imagine how that would be, you know. Your boyfriend breaks up with you, you set a shit on fire. You know, whatever. Concealing another crime is a big one. This is huge in mystery stories. Why did they set it on fire? Oh, because there's a dead person in there, of course. Another one is to be a hero, which I heard a, a couple firefighters talk about this. And being a hero, they say, you know, maybe it goes with a mental disorder. Maybe it's just, you know, ego. It, but that's considered one, you know, people want to set a fire. To be the one to put it out. That, and that also kind of goes to that whole hyper-masculinity shit. Actually, the firefighter I heard talk about it said that he's heard of, you know, volunteer firefighters come out of a fire and see their buddy in handcuffs. Yeah. Uh, fraud is one. Obviously, insurance fraud. You know, you purposely set a fire to defraud the company that, you know, your jewel box got burned or something. Yep. 
Uh, mental disorders, like we mentioned. Um, I'm not sure what kind of mental disorders. Obviously, like, generalized anxiety, you're probably not going to set things on fire. You might poke a fire, because if I'm feeling anxious, I will poke the campfire, but maybe schizophrenia and stuff like that. I'm not really sure. Schizophrenia is one of them where you might hear voices, right? That's one of them. Perhaps, but you don't necessarily always hear voices. I know. I'm just, I was trying to think of a a disorder where something might be, you think that there's something telling you to do something. Another reason for fire setting is vandalism. Some people just like to, I was going to say this is unintentional, but I totally have planned this. Some people like to watch the world burn. Like I said, one of the podcasts I was uh, researching this on, they said that, but they did it in Michael Caine's voice, so I'm going to need you to go back and do that in Michael Caine's voice. I will not be doing that, but some people just like to destroy things. It's, you know, like people who graffiti things or break things. Some people set it on fire. Again, teenage boys. The best punishment I heard from somebody who said that if they found kids doing it for vandalism, what they'd do is the fire chief would dress up in the full uniform and put on a stern face. And their punishment would be that they had to go and apologize to him and he'd assign them community service. But when you're 13 and an authority figure standing over you like that, you rethink your little vandalism spree. Yeah, well, that and this isn't only teenage boys. We'd like to point that out. But it is often when it's the case, it is more seen as something that men do than females. Of course, it's, you know... A statistic and not always how it works, but statistically. Easy. We just don't get caught. Sure, that must be it. Oh, that's my theory on why uh, more men murder, because women just don't get caught. Yes, more men don't murder. Women are just better at it. Well, add it to the list of things we're better at. You know what the only thing that's not on that list is? What? Peeing standing up. I thought you were going to say smushing spiders, and I was going to have to tell you about the time that a bunch of Girl Scouts ran out of the bathroom at work freaking out because there was this spider the size of my fist in there on the wall. So I hit it with a fire extinguisher. (laughs) It took two hits to kill that little shit. Can I tell him the no piter story? Oh my god, I had to smash it twice, like tons of force with a fire extinguisher. I don't know what type of mutant that was. But it was fucking crazy. So anyway, my mother would love to tell this story, but she's currently out of town. So I'll tell it. Apparently, we were in the bathtub. I was about four. So Rebecca was around two. And I'm freaking out because I hate spiders. I always have. And so my dad comes in to figure out why they're shrieking and sees a spider running across the floor. But my sister, who was already out of the tub, just goes, no, spider, and slaps it. Barehanded, mind you. And I've smushed all of her spiders since. I smushed my own spider the other day. You only smush the ones that I like and name. Not my fault Charlotte had to die. It wasn't even Charlotte. All right, back to arson. Please don't set spiders on fire. That's cruel. And then you have on fire spiders running at you. Wasn't that the end of arachnophobia? Probably. I can't remember that movie. I think I've blocked it. So, and the last reason is protests or terrorism. I will note that I like to protest things, but I've not yet burned anything, although my bra is occasionally a candidate. Yeah, well, I mean, like, my version of burning at a protest is a candlelit vigil. Even now they give you an electric candle. No, they don't. Wax still drips on your fingers. I don't know what kind of high-class, money-funded protests you're going to. I didn't go to that when I had a report to write, but Carrie told me they had candles. 
and they were plastic. That's disappointing. I feel like a candlelit vigil is always better when there's wax dripping on your fingers, so you're collectively in pain. I feel like, one, that's something we didn't need to know about your personal life. Two, I don't think I have candle privileges. I was just given heat gun privileges at Carrie's, okay? <laughs> anyway, to a specific arson! Yay! Oh, nope, one more fact. So generally... Unless in the case of mental disorders or professional arsonists. Or assholery. Sometimes they're called professional torches, which is the coolest name ever. I feel like they shouldn't get a cool name for being criminals. Arson is generally a one-time crime. Like, if you get released from prison for arson, you're likely to commit any other crime as likely as anybody else, but it's not going to be arson again. People get their kicks one time. Big fire. Much flame. All done. No, What is it from the second parts of the Caribbean? No, me chief, me one. Big fire. Okay, so we're going to tell you a story now about somebody known as the Pillow Pyro. You may have heard this story. It's been covered on a couple of podcasts and in arson episodes. Caustic Soda, um, Wine and Crime did it. I don't know about any others, but it was on Forensic Files. So it has to be good. It's the episode called Point of Origin. I love Forensic Files. Carry on. Oh, during the World Series on TV, who was playing that year? Let me look it up. While I do this, set the scene. So it was 1984. The hair was big and the eyeliner was blue. So the arson was a really big concern because there was a lot of hairspray involved. (laughs) So the Detroit Tigers were playing the San Diego Padres in the 1984 World Series. What game were they on? I don't know. Take me out to the ball game. It was sometime in October, okay? So there was a fire at the Olay's home store. It was kind of a hardware store, but it was called a home store. So it's not like home goods. So four people died in this fire that basically uh, sounds like it kind of started weird in the middle of the store. And so the employees started to get people out. But I mean, it was an evening. So who works during the evenings at stores like this? Teenagers. And when something starts in the middle of a room... Unless there's something to start that fire, it's normally pretty damn suspicious. Two employees, a grandmother and her little grandson died. The boy was under four. And a device was later found that was determined to have set the fire. But originally they deemed it natural, but uh, the arson investigator, John Orr, said this fire was arson and then they found the device. But they think he planted the device in patio cushions, the arsonist. And so, really, like I was saying before, a lot of what people thought they knew about arson for a long time just wasn't true. And that's things like they assumed when fires got to a certain temperature that was high enough to warp glass in a certain pattern that it meant that an accelerant has to be used in order to get the fire that hot. And it turns out that's really just not true. But it was thought to be true for such a long time. But there are still some indicators of arson. Burning exceedingly hot is one indicator, but it's not conclusive. And when there's little devices and things, that's a pretty good indicator that somebody set this shit on purpose. And accelerants? Well, yeah, if there's accelerants that shouldn't be there and are. An accelerant being something like gasoline or lighter fluid to get a fire started quickly versus, you know, holding a match to a stick. And hoping it catches. Again, when I was listening to these interviews with firefighters, they said sometimes they'll put out a fire and then immediately walk in and go, (laughs) 
yep, there's lighter fluid in here. So you're not as sneaky as you think. Just because it burns doesn't mean the evidence is gone. Exactly. Some things do go off telltale smells, and they leave behind minute amounts, which makes arson generally fall under the trace chemistry section in a crime laboratory because you're looking for minute amounts of accelerant. Which I actually thought it was cool. One of the firefighters was saying they're actually trained how to put out a fire. If there's evidence of arson, there's a way to do it to make sure they preserve the evidence, which is kind of cool. It is cool, but when it comes down to it, it's one of those times, like, with police officers, too, like, when you're at a crime scene, the victims and people there always take precedent. The safety of the people comes before any evidence. I am all for preserving evidence. Super important. But living people come first. Oh, very much so. It's just like, you know, if it's, they know everybody's out and they're putting it out, but they suspect arson, there's a, a kind of a way to make sure your water is not gonna, you know, blast the uh, device into next week. True story, because those houses are pretty damn strong, and we'd like to take that to the crime laboratory. So, I interned in the trace chemistry section of the ISP laboratory in Chicago, and they showed us, like, they had this little area with a fume hood and everything specifically for their arson investigation. It was kind of a closed-off area. They're like, yeah, we've only, you know, kind of set stuff on fire on accident a couple times in here recently, and I'm like, I'm sorry, what? You're not supposed to set it on fire. (laughs) What are you doing? There was a fire down in Decatur today. One of the ADM plants had a little fire, but nobody was hurt. Ah, it smelled like burning soy, huh? Yeah, like, you know, every other day in Decatur. It's okay, Springfield smelled like shit today. I don't know what they were doing in there. I think the legislator was in session. Probably. All right, second fire! Also at an Olay's home store. Then there was fires in Craft Mart, which is just cruel. Thou shalt not set fires in the craft store. All that yarn. It probably was set in yarn because I mean Actually most yarn now is more synthetic. But would yarn in the eighties have been? I don't know if the Red Heart Super Saver was around in the eighties, but those are giant ass things of yarn that are great for like making blankets and stuff, stuff that doesn't have to be super soft, but they're very, very synthetic. It costs a lot more to get like wool yarn or alpaca yarn or whatever. Yeah, some of the craft uh, things at the state fair, you have to send in a sample of your yarn to prove you're knitting with wool. And not plastic. So the device. I'm going to be describing this with hand gestures, and I might just have to put a picture up because I don't think they're going to come through very well. A picture of a gesture. That'll be great. How about, you know, a video? I meant a picture of the device, dumb fuck. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were going to put up a picture of you gesturing. Although, since I'm going to see you on Saturday, I might just have you take a video of this explanation with full hand gestures. So, all fires were found to be connected to the same device. First is a cigarette. And I don't know, you've never smoked, have you? No, because I like my lungs. Well, a cigarette, if you're not puffing on it, that's what pulls the flame back, and it's what keeps it going, is the air going through it. So a cigarette on its own burns very, very slowly. Well, okay, I'm going to tell you, I knew that. You know, I have a science degree, but I've not done it, but that's... Well, yeah, but then it goes back to... I don't. I don't know how much you know about the way cigarettes are put together. There's a filter at the end with some batting in it. Most people know this, don't they? I don't know. People Talk don't to smoke. us on Facebook. Did you know cigarettes have filters? Probably because people throw them on the ground and it pisses me off. Pick well, up yes. your cigarette butts. But I'm just explaining so everybody knows. And uh, the end by the filter 
where that uh, little bit of paper is where it would catch is a book of matches. Probably a full book. For our younger listeners, uh, matches weren't always just in the big boxes that you, your mom might have for candles. They had the little ones and they'd give them out places. They still do. They do some places. They, people used to ask me at the gas station, hey, do you guys have free matchbooks? No. What do I look like? A restaurant? Well, that and those ones are really hard. Like, I have a hell of a time lighting those. I always end up bending them in half. I can't light those. I can barely, like, the few times I've ever smoked, I can barely light a cigarette with a lighter without setting my face on fire. That's why you shouldn't smoke, kids. That, and it's bad for you, but you also don't want your face to be on fire. There's an art to doing it, and I never bothered to learn because I would never smoked. Well, no, you, like, smoked, like, you know, five cigarettes, but... Yes, I've smoked under a pack of cigarettes in my life, probably, like, five, six. So, anyway... Then there's paper around it, which I believe was just a yellow piece of, like, legal pad. Now, if you're creating your arson devices, you're going to want to be economical about them. So, can we review real quick? Because we went on a tangent. So, we have a cigarette, and by the filter of the cigarette is a book of matches, and around that, a piece of yellow paper from a legal pad is wrapped. Yeah. The cigarette would probably, it would probably be um, rubber banded together, because a rubber band wouldn't affect it. And then that would be wrapped in, I've heard... Somebody said in, like, bedding, but I think they mean more batting, that stuff you stuff in a pillow. You know, like, the stuff that comes out of your teddy bear when you rip it. That stuff that if you have a dog and they like to kill the squeaker toy, the stuff that's all over your living room, that's batting. Super flammable, and nowadays it's also very plasticky, so flammable and also melty. Yes, and he'd put this in, like, a patio cushion section or something like that. So this is why this man became known as the Pillow Pyro. Which is the dumbest name ever. What else are you going to call him? Be like, dude who sets fires to patio cushions? I don't know. I think most patio cushions are pretty plasticky. Maybe it was different in the 80s. I think it was the fact that the atmosphere had a high concentration of Aquanet. That must be it. So there was a strain of fires then shortly after this. Remember, this was 84 up to 86 or so. Then around Fresno and the Bakersfield area, which is next to Fresno, probably a suburb thing, there started to be fires up and down Highway 99. And when it was researched by Captain Casey of the Bakersfield Fire Department, it was found that it was during an arson investigators convention. So he's like, I bet it's one of these investigators, because like I said, a lot of times first responders can be the people who do this. All right, so in the notes, you did not write arson investigators convention. You wrote arson convention. I'm like, how did they let these people meet? <laughs> like, don't you think they would be like, Dad, I don't think I'll rent this space to you. <laughs> they let people have furries conventions, okay? That's not illegal. It's odd, and people can do whatever the hell they want as long as they keep it to themselves. You can do whatever you want. That just mildly freaks me out but no it was an arson yeah, but setting fire to other people's shit is super illegal dressing up with fuzzy ears on your head is not so it was during the arson investigators convention which i thought that was clear rebecca apparently thinks differently i'm just thinking like villain con every time we told my dad we were going to crime con he asked us if it was like villain con and took to referring to it as villain con scarlet overkill I'm totally scarlet overkill no, it's, no honey. it's probably Nina. I I can see I it. I can see it too. Shout out to Nina. Hey, Nina. 
So the investigators told uh, Captain Casey, no, clearly the arson convention is not connected to these fires. What is wrong with you? Can you read the next line for us, Rebecca? I don't know if I can put that many U's together in a row. Bullshit. So a fingerprint was found on the notebook paper, which you'll remember was wrapped around the incendiary device, which is kind of amazing that it didn't go up, but fire does strange shit. Yeah, and actually, um, paper like that is sometimes difficult to get fingerprints off of. You don't use the general technique of, you know, you think of Sherlock Holmes going around with this little kit with powder and a little brush and lifting the print up. It's not how you get it on paper. You use a chemical called, oh crap, it's on the tip of my tongue. It's bright freaking purple. Is it the super glue one? No, that's for things that is difficult to get a good print to lift. So you put the super glue on it, and then you dust over it, and you can lift the print really easy. Starts with an N. Anyway, the fingerprint was actually found on the notebook paper. Ninhydrin! It's ninhydrin. So you spray this on the paper, you let it dry in the fume hood for a while, and you give it like half an hour. Bright, freaking purple fingerprints. So this was originally found on the notebook paper from that first fire. But he kept it, and when he'd find scraps of notebook paper at the other fires, he realized they're probably connected. So that's how I didn't explain that in writing, because it took a little while. Two years later, there was fires around Pacific Grove, another town in California. Up and along another major highway, and guess where the arson investigators convention decided to meet that year? Did they even fucking try? I don't know. But they found more of the devices, and Casey's like, there's a connection here. And they're like, nah-uh. They had a list of 10 suspects that were at both, but their fingerprints didn't match. But this was the 80s and the fingerprint technology wasn't as good, so remember that. Well, no, if you lift the fingerprint, like, did they eventually match it? Because if you have a partial print, it's possible that you can't always match it. But if he has several prints... It was one, but they eventually matched a little while later. So I think it was just a... Like you said, when you have to manually note the similarities, it might be a little different. But you still have to manually note the similarities. The only difference is maybe they didn't lift a good print from the suspect, or maybe they only got partial prints from this evidence. Because if you only get part of the fingerprint, it's a lot more difficult to compare it, because you have to compare it to all of the other person's fingerprint. And so it's like trying to find this tiny bit of pattern and like, a huge other pattern. But anyway, so it wasn't matched originally, but they would match it later. So I'm not sure if it's technology or they didn't get the... I, I've heard the right guy was on the suspect list that first time, but that could also be part of the lore of the pillow pyro. Like, yeah, we got him and then we didn't, but then we did. I don't even know. But it sounds like it might have just been a technological issue or just an administrative error. Which happens. I mean, cops are only human. Well, and sometimes when you have somebody not trained in fingerprints, taking fingerprints from suspects or from people to put on file, they do a real shitty job because they're not trained in fingerprints. Like the guy that took my fingerprints for my internship, he like stuck my fingers in ink, stuck them on the paper and was like, you're done. And I'm like, no, these are unusable. So I could commit a crime. But I don't because one, that's wrong. And two, my fingerprints are digitally on file from teaching. Mine are on file in so many places. It's not even funny. 
Oh, they go to the same file. No, because mine are both for teaching in several counties. A private security company does the background checks for one of the schools I worked at, and I'm cleared through the federal government for the USDA. Yes, but Rachel, most of the stuff with the county that goes well, to the yeah. state. Well, yeah, I'm just on, like... The private company, they... It's just yeah. on a lot of levels. So, in 90 and 91, there was a bunch of fires in and around Los Angeles, both city and wildfires. So they formed a task force called the Pillow Pyro Task Force. Even though there were no pillows involved in the making of this forest fire. So the task force formed and it started to be shared with another group, which I believe their acronym was FIRST. I don't remember what it stood for. But it was basically those small towns around the area who were too small to have their own arson investigative unit. They kind of formed a task force out of a few members of each department where they would take turns investigating. So make your resources work. That's nice. But somebody from Bakersfield heard of this and they told this group of Casey's suspicions. So they compiled a list of suspects who attended both conferences and lived in the L.A. area. Again, and ran the fingerprints. And who was it? John Orr. John or who? John Leonard Orr, who was the person who told them the original fire was arson. He was an arson investigator. What? And like I said, he may have been suspected the first time, but the prints didn't catch him. But the second time it did. But there's going to be more to that. But at first, a little bit about John Orr. John was one of those people... Like BTK, who wanted power. Don't we all? John Orr wanted to be a police officer, but he wasn't able to pass the test. So instead, he became a firefighter, which I'm like, if you can't be a police officer, you become a firefighter? Like, they have an even more physically demanding job. Like, being a police officer is no fucking joke, but... It wasn't the physical test he didn't pass. The mental stability? Uh Uh-huh. But then you let him be a firefighter? Do you know the shit they see? They see as much shit as the police officers. True. Because firefighters are also first responders and EMTs. He became an arson investigator, which was considered a law enforcement position there. But, however, he was known for chasing down shoplifters in his truck, and the cops are like, dude, stop telling people you're a police officer. Oh my god, I'm rolling my alley so hard I can hear it. He was a white man with an ample mustache. You know what? So was Teddy Roosevelt, and... He chased down poor innocent animals and was a whole lot of racist. Have I told you what my new favorite tag group is? A white penis of underwhelming proportions is behind this, I know it. Carrying on, everything now comes back to the Golden State. So yeah, pretty much. Itty bitty weedy. No, so basically John Orr had a power thing and so he was put under surveillance. So the ATF, um, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms was watching him, which, did they also handle arson? Some of it. It just really depends. Jurisdiction is so okay, I didn't know that. freaking weird. So originally he had like a GPS-y device thing put on his car, and he found it and took it off. And then they added one later because he had a city car, so he brought it in for its oil change and they rigged it again. Well, if he has a city car, they can be like, dude, you have to leave this on. You don't own the car. But then they he would know that, you know, they're tracking him and not set fires. Yeah. So they were trying to get a lot of evidence, but he was seen pretty much setting a fire. And so he was arrested. They found matches, rubber bands, cigarettes and binoculars with him. And this is my favorite part of this story. Are you ready for this part? 
They found a manuscript for a book called Point of Origin, which was about an arsonist named Aaron. So the Point of Origin, where the fire starts, that's what they call it in arson investigation. And we're going to have Rebecca give you a dramatic reading of a quote from this book. To Aaron, the smoke was beautiful, causing his heart rate to quicken and his breath to come in shallow gasps. He was trying to control his outward appearance and look normal to anyone around him. He relaxed and partially stroked his erection, watching the fire. And the real joke here was this shit was published. (laughs) Yes, they published it after his trial. (laughs) You can buy it on Amazon. (laughs) So he was tried in September of 98 and still claims he wasn't guilty of the fire who killed the people. Too bad the jury didn't agree. Yeah, no, because they matched him to the first one and then with all the same M.O., they think he set, guess how many fires? Oh, damn, you didn't write it down. Um, 50. Nope, higher. 51. Nope, higher. 52. This is going to take a while. 100? 2,000. I would have gotten there eventually. (laughs) This would have been a pretty long episode, but. Yes, they think he might have set 2,000 fires, including wildfires. They say at some points they got a little suspicious of him because he'd like, be called, hey, can you go investigate this arson fire? And he'd go, and they'd have accidentally given him the wrong address, but he'd show up at the right location. What a fucking idiot. (laughs) So he was sentenced to four life terms for the murders and 20 years for the other fires. So Rebecca is going to now give us a dramatic reading of the judge's statement. The enormity of the defendant's crimes should not be understated. He embarked on a campaign of setting arson fires that is remarkable in the number of fires he set and in the expert way he set them, end quote. And since we borrowed some of their research in the vein of caustic soda, we're going to give you a public service announcement. Don't set fires, assholes. And also do not set fire to assholes. Uh Uh-uh. Bad. I think my entire butt just popped (laughs) Just a little bit. And on that note, if you want to tell us how completely scarred you are from that mental image, you can email us at yoursinmurderpod at gmail.com. We are also on... Would that be better or worse than after you have the fire sauce at Taco Bell? I don't eat Taco Bell because that's nasty shit. We're also on Facebook and Twitter as Yours in Murder, and we have a fancy website at yoursinmurder.net that I should probably get around updating sometime soon. Who knows? And we will also, uh, after the outro music, you're going to hear a promo from our friend over at Murder Mile. I'm giving him an extra promo because I totally forgot to put his promo on last week. It's been a long week, friends. Yeah, sorry, guys. I'm working a lot. Rachel just finished her degree. We're having family medical issues. So yeah, Rachel wrote this episode, which is why there's, you know, not 300 reference sources with footnotes because I wrote it really fast. Yeah, and I've been working 14 hours a day. It's great. It's great. But uh, our friend has a podcast called The Murder Mile, which is like a walking tour of the West End of London, where there's been over 300 historical murders just in a square mile. Oh, you know, I'm a little disappointed, to be honest, because I was hoping it was going to be Chicago. But you know what? London's really fucking cool, too. So. Oh, there was a podcaster meetup in Toronto, and there was a shooting in Toronto last night, which we send condolences to all of our Canadian friends, because that's horrible. And it's something they don't have to deal with very often. And we're just like, oh, it was just 10 people. It's fine. But after there was a thing in 
Nashville when we were there for CrimeCon, and then there was another thing by a podcaster meetup. Somebody's like, what's going to happen in Chicago? I'm like, oh, honey, you've never been to Chicago. Yeah. All right. So stay tuned after our outro for that promo. And until next time, we are yours in murder. Hi, I'm Michael, host of the Murder Mile True Crime Podcast, which was nominated as one of the best British true crime podcasts of 2018, is based on my five-star rated guided walk, and features more than 300 untold, unsolved, and long-forgotten murders, all set within one square mile of London's West End. So if you love hearing about new cases for the first time, old cases through a fresh pair of ears, and classic cases with a twist, all researched using the original declassified police investigation files, written using first-hand accounts, and recorded using authentic sounds from the murder location itself, then Murder Mile is just for you. Download the Murder Mile True Crime Podcast on iTunes, Acast, or your favourite podcast platform every Thursday. Thank you for listening, and stay safe. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.